Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. You're listening to Commons and Chronicles. This is episode 21 the second year of this podcast. As I mentioned in the previous episode, I'm trying to broaden the scope of this show to include vaguely game-related items, including gaming mechanics, which is pretty solidly in the gaming-related items category, but it's something that I haven't really delved into too deeply in the past, over the, the course of the past year and some odd months, Mostly because I wanted to focus on lore and the stories behind the stories. And while I still want to focus on that, I do feel that to do the stories justice, I need to spend time researching all of this stuff. Maybe rereading books to, to, to brush up on something that I've, that I think I remember, but I don't necessarily actually remember clearly. And so while I do that, I'll be covering other stuff about gaming including gaming mechanics, and anything really of interest to me as a creative type and a gamer, because I figure if it's interesting to me, it's probably interesting to you. So, previously, in the in the previous episode, I spoke about non-combat experience points, specifically about the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition implementation of a new experience point system, called the three-pillar XP system. It covered exploration, it covered combat, traditional combat, and social combat, as we, we could call it, or social intrigue. And it, it, it rewrites the entire rule system of, of experience points in order to fit into this three-pillar model. It's quite good, if you haven't heard that episode or downloaded the cheat sheet for it yet, I recommend that you do so. But in this episode, I want to talk about the Pathfinder implementation of the same concept. Pathfinder, of course, in case you don't know, is the it, it is Dungeons and Dragons forked from the main branch or trunk of Dungeons and Dragons, if you will, at the 3.5 edition. So Dungeons & Dragons had 3rd edition, at some point they updated everything and called it sort of casually a 3.5 edition, and then they started on 4th edition. Well, before 4th edition started, because 4th edition didn't use the open gaming license, Paizo, the former publisher of Dungeon Magazine, decided to take all of the open rules from 3.5 and create their own game called Pathfinder. And we have that still today. All of this th this discussion today relates to Pathfinder Edition 1. Pathfinder Edition 2 is coming out in stores right now as we speak, or possibly in two months from now. But it's it's happening. It, it's The playtest is, is happening truly as we speak. And in a couple of months from the, the time that I recorded this, which is about 140 days into 2019, there will be a second edition of Pathfinder. I don't know how that will affect what I'm talking about here, 
Either way, this serves as a good reference point and a good model for 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 how to attack or how to, how to approach non-combat based experience points. So sometimes you're playing your your gaming group just isn't up for constant non-stop combat. I mean, no one really is, but some people just don't like the the style of play where you're you're crawling through a map the whole gaming session anticipating traps, anticipating attacks, and so on. And that's fine. We all know that D&D is supposed to be more than that anyway. Which way you lean in terms of what you'd rather spend the majority of your time doing just depends on you. But it's important, obviously, to have different systems set up for people who don't want to do necessarily the same thing as as what some other group likes to do. To account for that, Paizo published a an entire book, an entire volume, on a concept of ultimate intrigue. The book is called Ultimate Intrigue, appropriately. Now, Wizards, Wizard of the Coast, of course, published a, a two-page Unearthed Arcana article providing the three-pillar experience point system. Paizo's book is about 200 pages. The rules in this book are official rules. They are optional, but they've been playtested, and they're perfectly integrated with existing rules. So if you already are familiar with D&D 3.5, or Pathfinder, then these rules can get overlaid on top of how you're already playing without any kind of adjustment. So you don't have to you don't have to to stop your current experience point progression or reinvent how experience points work. This system is is meant and is designed to fit in and to integrate perfectly with the existing game that you are already playing. One thing that this book, Ultimate Intrigue, does not provide is the exploration mechanic that the three-pillar system does provide. However, there are ways to get close to a system with other Paizo products, so I'll, I'll cover those as well, so that we do get to the same kind of solution of experience points for people for combat, for social interaction, and for just general exploration. So the first thing that Paizo does in their Ultimate Intrigue book is to create a new class that specializes in social intrigue. So if a player wants to maybe kill off an existing character, or or if they're just starting a game, then to start playing this this character who specializes in the social intrigue area, then they can they can roll up a vigilante, which is kind of a cross. That's the the class name is vigilante, and it's kind of a cross between Batman and Sherlock Holmes. Um, although actually, Batman is very frequently likened to Sherlock Holmes anyway. But Batman, Bruce Wayne, and Sherlock Holmes. Let's put it that way. So. The player can play a socialite by day and a masked pathfinder hero by night. This is actually a really effective class. You might think, 
that that mostly sounds like flavor, something that you just say about a character. And heck, why couldn't you just say that about any character, right? A rogue could be could be a, a, a popular socialite by day and a adventurer by night. Why does it have to be a whole new class? But actually the player, if they choose a vigilante class, they get access to a sort of almost social wizardry. That's not their term, it's kind of my term, with talents like many guises, feign innocence, instant recognition, and other little 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 skills or little feats and little talents that that enable them to to exploit the environment of social situations in ways that no one's ever probably really thought to attempt in other pathfinding uh, pathfinder games or products so this this character this this vigilante class can feel comfortable in a social situation because their character demands immediate confidence and trust from NPCs, but is actually more or less a rogue otherwise. The benefit here is that the player can have an advantage in social interaction without the player and the GM actually role-playing, or choosing not to role-play and just hand-waving, days and months of the character getting established in the social structure of the setting. It's just assumed that the PC has a trusted place within the social order to the point that no one would ever suspect that character of, of leading a double life. So it, it, it's a very, very efficient, smooth way of granting a, a character a place in a, in a social structure. In, an, in a pre-existing social structure. Can you do the same thing in any other gaming system? Well, of course you can. For instance, in 5th edition, maybe a player has specifically chosen a nobility background. In that case, it would be just to assume that if, if they dress up in fancy clothes and go into a into a, into a place, they, they, they would be taken seriously because they would know how to how to act they would know the social graces and the traditions to follow and so they would not be looked at strangely as would a barbarian who went into the same court of nobles and tried to act like a noble so so it's it's not it's not revolutionary but it is a nice sort of official way to say when you walk into a group of well-to-do people about town they automatically respect you you, you are automatically in with that crowd by day. Or, or, I mean, not literally by day, but, you know, when you are in that guise of a noble person, then you are assumed to be true, truly a noble. Now, there are 50 more pages of archetypes for existing classes, such that any PC can have a social leaning. So the, there aren't any, for instance, 5th edition has the, 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 the background attribute. This is something that you choose when you're creating that character. You you can choose this background, which grants you specific things and gives you kind of both mechanical advantages and and flavor advantages, things that, that influence the game because of something that you've declared at the beginning. It, it's very similar to that. This This is kind of, this is the background version for Pathfinder, I guess, in a way. Okay, so Let's get down to social interaction, because that's really what this is all about. Some people don't like to 
attack everything that they see and especially if if the thing that they are are facing can be reasoned with some people will default some players simply want to default to bargaining and and debating and talking rather than attacking and i realize that for a lot of people that sounds like a strange strange thing and to be honest for me it kind of feels strange because while i do actually play in a couple of games that are pretty heavy on the on the interaction side of things i i really do kind of prefer just the exploration and fighting part of of dnd i think of, of rpgs in general so it's it's interesting that some people really really like the intrigue side of of the game and part of the intrigue a major part of the intrigue is that social interaction so ultimate intrigue the book from paizo establishes a mechanical system for verbal debate these encounters are it's basically combat but instead of using weapons you are using special social skills that you can choose from on each turn so each encounter if you if you are facing off with someone who you believe you need to debate with in some way maybe you're trying to get information out of them or maybe you're trying to prove them wrong or prove them a liar or whatever the encounter starts by rolling not initiative but social initiative this uses charisma as the uh, as the base initiative bonus at the start of the debate each character involved gets a number of determination points and the de- determination points well they're like social hit points and that is the average of the character's intelligence wisdom and charisma plus their total hit die so it's the average of those things average int plus wiz plus ka plus your total hit dice determination points serve as the hit points during this conversation so every time you enter a new debate you would get a new pool of determination points this isn't something that you would write down on your character sheet to last the entire campaign for instance this is something that happens each time you get into a verbal debate so at the start of the debate the character with the higher initiative chooses an opening tactic there are several different tactics defined there's allegory baiting emotional appeal flattery logic mockery presence red herring rhetoric and wit each of these has an associated skill so a player can make strategic choices about how the argument goes although some tactics can't be used as an opening move or they can't be used twice in a row or they can't be used to counter something else a certain other kind of tactic the exchange dc is set to the result of the opening character's role and the ante is increased from its starting value of 0 to 1 okay so the exchange dc is set to the result of your character's role of of the opening character's role and then the ante which is this little counter that's going to kind of keep going up and down as the conversation goes it is increased from 0 to 1 so on the next turn uh, the next character takes their turn and they get to choose a tactic they make a, a a skill check appropriate to that tactic 
and if the skill check that they make meets or exceeds the exchange DC, which we just set, then the new exchange DC is now the result of that roll, and the ante is increased by one. If the skill check fails, then the character's determination points are reduced by an amount equal to the ante. So you see now that if they try to counter an argument and they fail to match the exchange DC, then they lose a point, depending on how high the ante is, of their determination hit points, as it were, by whatever the ante is set to. Combat continues in this way until a character either concedes, they give up, or they're reduced to zero determination. So to, to bring that in a little bit more into, into something that you can kind of picture, I'm going to open up Ultimate Intrigue here. I have it as a PDF from a Humble Bundle deal that I got. It was quite a good deal, actually. So for instance, here's Allegory. Allegory. You use a fable or parable featuring an underlying message to frame the debate. While it is sometimes difficult to use allegory in the heat of an exchange, it makes a very effective opener. So obviously this one, this one would be a good opening move. The associated skills that you can roll to, to, to do an allegory as your opening move would be knowledge history, knowledge religion, performance act, or performance oratory. Now if your character doesn't have skill points in any of those skills, well, first of all, you probably should question whether your character should be debating. And then secondly, you should maybe rethink using an allegory as your opening move. So, interaction. You take a negative two penalty on the associated skill checks when using allegory as a counter. So if you're using it as a counter argument, it's at a minus two. Special. If you use allegory to open an, open an exchange and your opponent chooses to end the exchange rather than attempt to counter your allegory, increase the exchange's current ante by two rather than one before your opponent's determination is reduced instead of gaining an edge. See something else here. Here's uh, presence. You make a show of confidence or true nobility or you simply put on airs, and an opponent's claims slide off and bounce back against him, leaving you unscathed. This tactic works to deflect baiting and mockery, but is less effective against other tricks. Associated skills intimidate. Knowledge nobility. Interaction. You gain a plus two bonus on the associated skill check when you use your presence to, count, to, to counter baiting or mockery. You take negative two penalty on the associated skill check when using presence to counter allegory, emotional appeal, or red herring. Special. If you win an exchange with presence, you regain one determination to a maximum amount equal to your starting determination. And so on. So that's, that's the kind of moves that your players have to choose from. And because each one has certain conditions and certain penalties and certain benefits depending on on how it's being used and uh, they each have different skills that are associated with them 
your character, the, the player characters can choose how to. You know, they, they're gambling on on how the conversation's going to go, based on well, I have a good bluff. Uh, I have a lot of skill in bluff, so I could use flattery, but then it's countering mockery, and that's going to take a m minus two penalty. But maybe that would be worth the gamble because I do have a really good bluff, you know, and so on. So it's it's a really really nicely it, it's it, it gamifies the process really well. I feel it, it's um it, it isn't straight just sort of well it's almost it's almost I think. M more, there's more skill to it, maybe in some ways than than combat. At least for some people, because a lot of people they don't think tactically, in terms of, of combat positioning and things like that. They don't think that way. They just they want to brute force something, because that's all they know know to do. However, other people think very tactically in terms of of planning and 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 calculated risk and what would pay off the most and so on so so this social interaction the social dueling as they call it is i think a, a really great way to let people be tactical and strategical about their social combat in ways that a lot of people might not really have available in in their in their skill set for for brute force combat. And not every conversation in a game is structured as social combat, just as every confrontation in a game is necessarily physical combat. It might come to physical contact, combat if, if the players force it, or if the players do so poorly at negotiation that, that they anger their opponent, or, or whatever the situation might be. But Conversations shouldn't necessarily always start with a social initiative role and then back and forth t tactically according to these social combat rules. But by creating the game mechanics around a debate, Paizo provides a gaming group a fun and valuable alternative path around problems that otherwise might necessarily be really only answered by combat. Because I think when we're playing... Uh, there, there's no, there's not really a signal for the GM to know when to give up the information. For instance, in combat, there's a very definitive end. There, there are hit points that are depleted to zero, and maybe there's a note written in the module that says when they are reduced to half their hit points, they surrender. Okay, well, again, a definitive end. But it, it's always framed in this, in this way of you must beat it out of them. Whereas in social combat, without a system around it, there's no trigger for that. It's just player against GM, and all the GM really knows is that they've got some information. But how does the GM know when to pr provide that information? It, it's written in the module that that Captain Von Bad Guy won't tell them the location of the secret um, hideout, and it might even say that he will refuse to tell them until death or something. But again, that assumes that they're going to get into a, a combat situation. 
And so if they're just debating with Captain Von Bad Guy, then how do they ever know? How does the GM know when it's too soon to give up the information? And how does the GM know that, okay, they've earned the information, now I'm finally going to give it to them? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's very difficult. And, and if you sit down and think about it, it doesn't seem so difficult, because you can think, well, if they make a really good argument, then I'll just I'll, I'll give them that information, and I'll assume Captain Von Bad Guy has has finally seen their side of the argument. But when you're in the thick of it, when you're in the moment, and you're being verbally dueled with by a player who may or may not be quite a lot better at it than you are as a GM, you, it, it's, it's a lot harder to make out those, those lines where those, those thresholds are. So a social mechanic, which has determination points, and if those determination points are reduced to zero, then that's the that's the signal. Then at that point, obviously, the information needs to be given to the players because they've won that, that round. Social dueling as a quantifiable option lets players choose to attack, quote-unquote, what blocks their way to success with words rather than a physical fight. And it's like I say, it's, it actually provides them with tactics and strategies so that it turns into a fun and, and powerful encounter that feels like they've won something at the end. It's, it's actually very, very effective. I'm going to liken it to the chase mechanics of Pathfinder. And if, you, if you've never played, if you've never been in a chase in Pathfinder, then you won't necessarily, this won't mean anything to you. But it, it's a, it is a, 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 it's similar to this. Now it was, it was provided, the mechanics for chasing is provided in the Dungeon Mastery, Game Mastery Guide is what it's called in the Pathfinder world. You can think of it as the DMG of the D&D world. The Game Mastery Guide puts, puts forth in the uh, advanced, advanced topics chapter, Rules for Chasing, page 232. And the idea here is that you you create almost, I would say, a flowchart of obstacles that get in the way of, of a chase. So I, I, just, I just ran a chase earlier this week, and, and it went really, really well. So for instance, maybe they're chasing the players are chasing someone and so you have a cluttered rooftop now to get past that that block of the chase the players must make an acrobatics check dc 10 if they fail that then their their adversary gets farther away from them if they succeed then they also then they progress to the next place so maybe they've got a gap in the wall in order to get through that gap in the wall, they must make an escape artist check DC 15. Or maybe they they can go over the wall if they do an acrobatics check DC 20, something like that, and so on. And so there's all these there's there are set obstacles as the chase proceeds, and in order to keep up with the with the character who who they are chasing, they must make these successful checks. And if they fail, then they remain one square behind that character. And if they progress, then they move. And if the character succeeds, then they go to the next block in this flowchart. 
So it's it's actually interesting less about distance than it is about sort of uh, theoretical progress. And it's a whole new rule system, right? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't you, you, there's nothing really quite like that anywhere else in the in the game. It is a it's a it's a mini game in the truest sense. It has new rules, it has new options. It moves in different ways than you, you're used to. For instance, if you just run a chase like combat, where everyone has 30 feet of movement per 6 seconds, then that's one thing. But if you do it this way, then it's a completely different scenario. It's an optional thing. It's in the Game Mastery Guide. You don't have to run it that way. You don't have to, you don't have to quantify it at all. You can just say, and then you chase the person. And assuming that everyone is diligently role-playing they describe how they catch the person and then they catch the person and that's it that's the game and that's fine that that works fine but the the chase rules make provide this new game that no one's played before in pathfinder possibly and it's a little bit you're a little bit apprehensive as a dungeon master possibly because you're thinking well there's this whole new system i'm gonna have to learn it i'm gonna have to explain it and all this other stuff and a little bit a little bit daunting but the minute you do it, you realize how fun it is and how smooth it actually happens. And the same goes for this social intrigue, the social combat. It's, it is a new system, and I think for it to work really, really well, your players have to have a copy of the rules. You would have to print off the, the choices that they have, the little moves that they can make. Because no one's going to remember, oh, I can I can do an allegory now, but it'll be a minus two if I'm not doing it as an opener or whatever the minus two is for. So you'd, you'd have to print those out and hand them to the players so that they know what's available to them. And that's fine. I mean, that's not a big deal. They can they can make intelligent choices. And it's it and if it's a group and and only one of them is the the face of the operation they're they're the ones actually doing the social combat then you can hand the 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 options to the whole group and and they can collaborate and sort of t- tell or or encourage the 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 player oh you should use this one next because it's uh, it's only a there's no penalty if you use that to counter bluff and and so on or, or whatever or bait rather or or whatever and it can become truly a group process, even though technically there's just that one player who happens to have all the social skills um, actually doing the the die rolling. So the the fact that it's a new system shouldn't be daunting. It, it it's actually it's very easy to run. It's a lot of fun, and at the end of it, you either feel really really happy because you've won the debate. Or you feel like you gave it your best effort. You, you know, as a player walking away from a social debate, that you did your best to talk it out before resorting to chopping people's heads off or whatever your, whatever your next move is going to be. And as I alluded earlier, there, 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 there's role-playing and then there's role-playing. And I think that this system provides social pro- provides the same crutch for social interaction that well combat provides for physical situations namely i i'm not really a great debater in real life personally i i don't do that well i'm not really all that great with people in general 
in real life, to be honest. But I get by. But even in role-playing, if, if, if I'm meant to debate with someone in an RPG, the best I would probably be able to do is something like, my character talks to the mayor and acts friendly. And then I accuse him of embezzlement, but I say it in such a way that he knows that I'm not threatening him, but he knows, or that I am threatening him, but not outwardly. That that would be sort of the the best I could do. I could try. I could say, hello, Mayor. How are you? It's good to see you. How's running the city going for you? Oh, it's going well, you say? Well, that's good. That's great. Hey, um, I noticed that there's 10,000 gold pieces missing from the coffers. I mean, that's that's the best I could do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to intimate to people that they're embezzling something without just coming out and saying, hey, I think you're embezzling stuff. So, in other words, I would not be very good at social interaction in an RPG because I'm not very good at social interaction in real life. So having a system whereby I know that I need to approach the mayor, I know that I need to accuse him of embezzling, but in such a way that he doesn't have me... Uh, I don't know, arrested for, for offending him or something. Now I can do that. I can roll social initiative, tell the GM what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, what my goal is to do here, and then we can battle it out with abstracted social combat moves. Is it for everyone? No, probably not. Some people don't want systems around really anything a lot of i mean there, there's a big movement out there i think nowadays where rules light is the thing to do and everyone should just be able to tell a story together and that's what role playing really is all about and that's fine if that's your style of playing then this probably is not for you this is a this is a mini game of social interaction where you don't have to actually interact it, it, it is probably the antithesis of role-playing for a lot of people out there, and that's fine. This is, this is a very, very mechanical way of dealing with something that for a lot of people should be pure role-playing, and this is where the RPG experience should excel, because you can say whatever you want to say and so on. And I understand that. It's not for everyone. But if you find yourself or your group in a situation where... Maybe role-playing the social combat or the social interaction would not work as well for you, then consider this. This might be the thing to look at. And even if you think you might, that yeah, maybe you would be able to role-play this out, it's not, this, this could work in tandem with that as well. You could, you could do your social interaction, you could role-play that, but how well does it land? Well, roll your die and find out. What kind of argument have you just made? Well, you've been calling him a a, um, a peacock too proud for his own good, so maybe we would call that uh, mockery or 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 something. So roll roll a skill check associated with the mockery category, and we'll see how how he took what you just said. So, in other words, even if you're role playing it well, you may still want those markers, those clear markers of oh, you just won that round, or oh, you've just lost the entire combat, so now the mayor has to t admit to you 
that he's been embezzling, and he has to tell you the location of the gold or whatever the end result would be. Okay, so let's talk about exploration now. There's really no allowance for awarding players uh, for exploration in Pathfinder at all. That just doesn't really come up. Now, to Wizard of the Coast's, or rather to Paizo's credit, I guess, Wizards of the Coast had to completely rework experience points to enable exploration to be to be accounted for. So it didn't exist there either. So this is simply something that I don't think traditionally role-playing games have necessarily thought about a whole lot. And I have to admit that me personally, I haven't thought about it all that much either. The The reason for that is because I don't love sandbox games. I, I, I've played in one for the past two or three years, very sandboxy kind of game, where there's a big world, and you can explore every corner of it, and you you could possibly never come across a bit of plot. You could just keep exploring random places. And the GM was was perfectly happy to describe every little detail. It was pretty amazing, really, but that's not my style generally of playing, and it's certainly not my style of dungeon mastering. I just don't... that's not what, what interests me at all. So... I don't think too much about this sort of thing. I, I think of ex exploration as a vehicle to some kind of encounter. And I think a lot of people, and I, I think the game systems, I think it's kind of obvious the fact that neither of them had exploration codified into into the rules. I think it's it's pretty obvious that that these that this lineage of of role playing games didn't really think that exploration was anything but a vehicle as well. That said, Paizo's rules for exploration did there there was there was some stab at awarding people for exploration in the pretty pretty popular uh, Kingmaker Adventure Path. So the Kingmaker Adventure Path was a campaign largely based around forming kingdoms and as kind of a, a almost a a byproduct or a, a mini game within kingmaker i guess there was a rule that a four person party is awarded 400 xp for exploring one full hex of a regional map so usually dnd maps are divided into 5 foot squares but for maps covering larger regions, if you don't know, hexagons are used. And they typically, it is said that they uh, represent about 95 square miles, which is 12 miles from any any one angle to the opposite angle. So if you, if you draw a line from any corner of a hex to the other corner directly across from it, that, that would be a 12 mile, that's 12 miles. So Kingmaker gives players incentive to kind of branch out a little bit and explore the area rather than just moving from one point to another point, which in turn provides the game master the opportunity to plant new story seeds. Now, in practice, the, the very few times that I've had to do this myself, I find that this demands that I have a regional map. And you can generate those things with a little online web app called Text Mapper. 
they'll include a link to that in the show notes. It's on campaignwiki.org slash textmapper. It's a pretty pretty neat little application. I, I met the creator of this text mapper on Mastodon, which is at mastodon.social. So once I have a regional map, each hex has a number. Uh, and I create a numbered list of all my files in my RPG modules directory on my computer, or my thumb drive actually, and suddenly I have backstories and plot seeds for every single hex. So if a character moves into hex 5, and they specifically say that they would like to wander off and explore to see if there's a nearby town, then... I might say, why, yes, there is a nearby town, by, by looking at my little note on, on hex number five. And that note would point me to a specific module that I own. And therefore, I know that in that hex, there's this little story hook whatever it might be, whatever that module's about. So for instance, maybe they move into hex, I don't know, 11. And they encounter a villager on the road all of a sudden, because they've they've explicitly said that they're going to go exploring a bit. So they, they encounter a villager on the road complaining of a ghoul infestation in a cave along the road. Now, they know that they don't have to go hurrying off to explore that cave, but now they know that there's a ghoul infestation in Hex 11. And when they finish their current mission or their current quest or whatever they're up to, then they could go back to Hex 11. And I would know, according to my list, that Hex 11 is the uh, Tomb of the Lizard King module. And so then they would, they would start playing the Lizard King module from 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 that point on they would also get 400 xp for having found that story seed now could my players game that system well yes they could just know that i'm going to give them 400 xp as long as they declare whenever they move into a new hex we explore so I don't do it quite as rigidly as that. I simply have the story seeds available to me. And if they spend time role-playing exploration enough, then I will give them the story seed and the 400 XP for f having found it. So it's a little bit of a looser system than the social combat system, but it does work for me. And since it's within... In Kingmaker, uh, Adventure Path, I figure that's close enough to being official, and, and it, it, it generally works out. I don't really have a problem with my players advancing too quickly, so throwing them 400 XP for for specifically and explicitly exploring, I don't think that's such a bad thing. So there you go. Between those two things, Kingmaker and Ultimate Intrigue, I'd say that Paizo covers non-combat XP pretty well, and in an integrated fashion. You don't need to know any new systems necessarily. You just need to know how Pathfinder works. And these rules fit into that framework, which makes them pretty easy to run, at least I have found. Like I say, this is 
pretty typical of Pathfinder in general. Their integration is pretty tight. So if you know how to do Pathfinder, if you know the character sheet well enough to run a game, then when presented with these new systems, whether it's social combat or kingmaker exploration or chasing or whatever it might be, it doesn't take you that long to learn the ropes of that new system. And the way that I've done it myself is I simply declare to my players, okay, you're in social combat now. Here's how that works. And that kind of announces to them that, hey, this is a new system. We're going we're gonna to break out of our, our normal stuff, and here's how this works, and here are your choices, and so let's go. And then and, and it works. It works brilliantly. Nobody's thrown off by it. Nobody's intimidated by it. It's a very common thing. And as long as you come across as a dungeon master as confident and and up to try something, then generally I find my players are happy to try it. And so far, everyone's liked it. I've never had a bad experience with these add-on systems so far. That's about all I have for non-combat XP for Pathfinder. I hope this has been informative and helpful, maybe giving you some ideas of how you can manage some of these non-combat situations yourself. In the next episode, I'm going to talk about a loose system that I developed before discovering either of these two systems for for non-combat stuff. And and I just want to present it to you as an option. I, I don't believe that it's better than either the three pillar XP or the Pathfinder solutions. It's just another solution. So I will talk about it in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.